Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. You know, it's one thing to fight for your relationship, but the deal breakers are if there are any type of abuse, and that is physical, emotional, mental. Um, yeah, those are deal breakers that that's not, you do not fight for your relationship if you're being abused. So the big questions are these, how can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I am so excited to welcome my new dearest friend, Catherine Gordon. We are like, I just feel like we are such kindred spirits. We are like old dear friends. I mean, you know, we we only recently met, but I feel like we have known each other for years. It's one of those crazy things. So she is a wife, mother, businesswoman, movie producer, best-selling author, and she's the author of Relationship Grit, and Grit actually stands for something which she's going to talk all about. Today, she is the host of Catherine for Real podcast. She's incredible, and I am so excited to dive into today's podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Kat. Oh, Rebecca, thanks for having me. Yeah, when I met you, I walked away and I thought, gosh, it was like I had known you for years. You know, you were the, our connection was awesome. So love hanging out with you, and I can't wait to talk today about relationships and narcissism. Yeah, it's really, really going to be it's such an interesting conversation because while your book is, you know, co-written with your husband, John Gordon, who, of course, wrote The Energy Bus, which I, I read years ago, long before he and I ended up interviewing each other for each other's podcasts, which was kind of an interesting you know, manifestation, manifestation sort of thing for me in, a, in a, a weird way. But, but so you and he co-wrote this book and it, in, in an interesting way, it's about having this great relationship in a sort of way, but it's also about how it's actually hard to stay together in in a lot of ways, yeah. and and, how, and the difficulties that you've had, and the past hurts that you've had, and the and and the bumpy roads that you've had, right? So you know, I always say with my book when I tell people I wrote a best selling book on relationships, you know, I always tell them my book is not a oh my gosh, look at me, look at us. Our relationship is so great. Let me tell you all about it. Our book is our story and it is our story of struggle 
some infidelity, some sickness. I mean, we, it's, we basically went through hell and back and, you know, there was the ultimatum that happened where I finally got to a point with my husband and said, I can't live with you like this. I mean, he was very self-centered, very self-focused, and I was pretty much on my own raising our kids. And so the book is really about the struggles that we had and then the ultimatum and then the process by which we rebuilt our marriage to be the strong loving, amazing relationship it is today, but it came with a lot of struggle. And so that's why I think the book resonates so much with so many people is that we share things about our relationship that a lot of people probably wouldn't, but we knew in doing that, that it was really going to help, you know, help couples stay together if that was what they were supposed to do. And that's something I say in the book, Rebecca, you know, it's one thing to fight for your relationship, but the deal breakers are if there are any type of abuse and that is physical, emotional, mental. Yeah, those are deal breakers that that's not, you do not fight for your relationship if you're being abused. Yeah. Right. Well, I talk about the three A's, which is something I came up with a long time ago as a divorce attorney which are what I call the three deadly sins of marriage, which are abuse, addiction, and adultery. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that you have to get divorced if you have any of those three. I just say that those are the three things that are kind of the things that are very, very, very difficult Mm -hmm. to get past. So because they attack the integrity of the foundation of the marriage, you know, the trust factor. Trust is huge. Yeah. And, you know, so I want you to get real about all of that with us. So take us back to before the ultimatum. I think it's really important for people who are listening because, you know, in my community. These are people who are, you know, they're there. It's raw. It's, it's, you know, so I, I don't want to just kind of skirt past that. I want to, I want you to take us back and get present with where you were before the ultimatum. Yeah. And, And I think that is important. So just to give you a little bit of background, it was 28 when I met John and John was 24. I was very much a mover and shaker in Atlanta. I was very successful, top salesperson. I was also acting and modeling and doing a lot in the community. I was very involved in a lot of the social clubs and events going on. And then I met John and he had just opened up a bar in Buckhead. He had started a nonprofit called the Phoenix Organization, which was, it was amazing. It was a, it was a, an organization that raised money for children's charity. But the other side of that was all the single people in Atlanta wanted to be a part of this organization. So he kind of had his group. So when we got together, it was really, it started to be hard to figure out what was more important, 
And I found myself in a power struggle with him. And I started to feel resentful uh, over whose event was more important. What was the most important thing to do? Who was going to back take the back seat? And one of the things I say in my book is what I did And I do not say that everybody has to do this. This is where you have to communicate, which is a big thing that we'll talk about. But I had to decide for myself what was going to make our relationship work, what was going to keep it healthy. That's very important. And what could be something that would be good for both of us. And at that time, It occurred to me that to really help John elevate, I would have to kind of get behind him and support him. I am not a weak woman. This is not about any of that. I mean, trust me, I'm I'm pretty much a bulldozer and John would tell you that. But for us at that time, I realized that I wanted to be the one to support him and getting us as a team, another important thing to remember that you are a team to where we wanted to go. And so I ended up, you know, quitting that sales job and really getting behind him. He ran for city council. I was his campaign manager. So I really started to support John and things worked out very, very well. You know, we started to succeed in business and we moved down to Florida, but then things got stressful. And I had two children that I was trying to take care of. We had opened up a franchise called Mo's Southwest Grill. And John was also out trying to find real estate properties. So this is the time that I always tell couples with young kids, you got to stick together. Th- these are the hardest times. Make sure that you are putting time aside for each other for connection because we didn't. And that was when, and I talk about this in the book, John was driving around with this real estate agent looking for property and ended up, you know, uh, having like a more of an emotional type romance with this woman. And it wasn't very long, it doesn't matter. And they didn't have sex, that doesn't matter because it's still cheating. But was just one of the, the, the problems that we started having in our relationship. And John also became very focused on himself. So although I was holding the house down and, and, and raising our children, that worked for a really long time and was great. It ended up not being a good thing for me, right? And so that's, again, one of those things where you need to keep having family meetings and, and talking about where you are as a couple. So he was negative. He was also depressed, He was down and depressed. And really, I thought he needed to go on medication. So it was a combination. And by the way, I do need to say this. I did not know that he had had this little affair with the woman at the time. But I knew something was wrong. I could feel it, right? I think we, especially as women, have that intuition. We know when something's off. So it was a combination of all those things. And then he would come home from the restaurant and was really nasty, really nasty to me and wasn't very engaging to the kids. And I finally had had it. And I just said, you know what? I don't want to live like this anymore. I I don't care if I have to, you know, I'll work three jobs 
I'll do whatever it takes to live a life where I don't have to feel like this and deal with your negativity. And so I kicked him out. And he did. First thing he said to me, by the way, and I think, you know, anybody listening, first thing he said to me when I said to him, you're negative, he said, you make me that way. How many of you can relate to that, right? All of a sudden, it's turned back on you. You make me feel that way. You make me miserable, you know? And I just, no, I'm not having that. Then just, you know, it really did hurt my feelings though. And it, it made me really cry. And, but I thought to myself, well, gosh, if I do that to him, I don't want to be with him. Right. So there was the twofold. It was the part of like, well, I definitely don't want to be with him, but also like, wow, that really hurt. Well, he did end up coming back to me on his hands and knees <laughs> and just said, I really want this relationship. I love you. I you know, don't want to leave our family. I don't want to leave you. And so then we were able to have a, you know, meeting of the mind, so to speak. Now, listen, when I say this, I set my parameters, I set, you know, my boundaries and I said what needed to happen. He agreed to this, but it didn't happen overnight. And trust me, if I wasn't seeing true progress and feeling true progress. I would not have continued to stay with him, but he did. He worked really hard on himself. And I know that's a hard thing because I do get people that ask me this question all the time, Rebecca. Well, what if he or she doesn't want to change? Or what if they say they are changing? That was going to be my next question because there's a lot of people in who are listening here who are going to say, well, I'm married to a narcissist who clearly doesn't want to change. Right. And that's a tough one because if they don't change, then, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. You're going to be in that same situation. So it's it's more about your own self-respect and self-preservation where you really need to evaluate that. And the other thing I always say is there is nothing wrong with getting therapy. I highly recommend it. If you cannot, and a lot of people, you know, people just in general, most people are not great communicators. And so it helps to have an outside voice. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone. No matter where you go, there you are. So if you have issues to deal with, you're going to carry them right over to your next relationship. So resolve to stick together, work on your relationship and work on yourself. Back to school season is coming up, which can be difficult for those going through a divorce, especially when child safety is a concern. And here in Negotiate Your Best Life, my mission is definitely one to help divorce couples prepare, especially when narcissists are involved. And as you all know, I've partnered with Soberlink for a long time. And Soberlink is a system which helps with alcohol monitoring. It includes a breathalyzer device with facial recognition. It allows you to receive real-time updates 
updates and help co-parent so that, you know, monitoring can be involved anytime, anywhere, swift intervention to improve child safety. And they're offering free packets right now. Go grab them. They've got checklists, communication tips, and more. Get your free packet right now. Soberlink.com forward slash negotiate. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging, like a narcissist or other high-conflict personality, and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation Cheat Sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive, where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. The the narcissist knows exactly how to trigger you. They know what your weaknesses are, what buttons to push. That's a trigger. They push it. And so if you don't understand what your triggers are, which most people don't, they just know, oh, they just upset me. They, They react. They don't know, oh, that's what they always do. They don't know that that's how my body processes it. When I get triggered and it's anger, I do this. Well, how do you stop that? And now we return to today's show. If they don't want to go to therapy again, can be that can be an issue. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's tough. I mean, it wasn't an overnight thing with John. But I'm going to tell you another thing that I noticed with him. And again, not everybody's going to be at that point. And you and I talked about this before the recording and that John did ended up finding a spiritual life. So for him, he was Jewish and, and it could be Judaism, Buddha. I mean, I, I think any kind of spiritual or spirituality that is going to help you get in connection with your higher self and help you work on yourself to be a better person is a beautiful thing. And in the case of John, he through that's a whole other story, but really some amazingly crazy interactions ended up, it was his Buddhist energy healer who started talking to him about Jesus. And so next thing you know, he started studying about Jesus. And so he became a Christian, but it, you know, it doesn't have to be that, but I have seen that it seems to be a uh, better, the most uh, uh, a successful route for helping a narcissist be a better person or work on themselves, if that makes sense. So, so it was a it was a challenge for a while, but you know we we were able to get to the other side, and there were a lot of bumps in the road, but we came up with a whole process for how we were going to communicate. And so one of the biggest things I always say is communication. Where there's a void in communication, negativity will fill it. And that's actually a quote by my husband. (laughs) And a lot of the reason that John is able to write the all the books that you see right here is he was not positive. He was very negative and pessimistic and you know pretty narcissistic. And so it's from coming from that place that he's been able to write the books and, you know, help other people get, get to a place of, I don't want to say enlightenment, but, you know, get to a place of where they're better people, better spouses, better friends. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so your book relationship grit was written, you know, together. Yep. And grit actually stands for something. You yeah. Know, us what yeah. For. So John and I wrote the book. I mean, fast forward, we actually wrote the book right before the pandemic not realizing how important it was going to be for so many people during the pandemic. And sometimes for us, I mean, there were times, you got to remember, John traveled all the time for work. I mean, the year before he had been, he'd done like 87 speaking engagements. He was never home. And all of a sudden he was home with me 24 hours a day. (laughs) That was hard. So we definitely had to use some of the principles. And so- Relationship grit is basically our back and forth. It's John's story inside of his story, and then it's mine. And it's through our struggles, like I said, and through what we did to help our marriage. And so grit is an acronym. And the G stands for God. So like I said before, it's important to bring God or a higher power into your life. In the book or on the book, there's the strand. It's the braided cord. And so they say a strand of three cords is not easily broken. And that cord is you and your mate and God or your higher power. And the second letter for the acronym is R and that's resolve. You have to resolve to work on the relationship. The grass is not always greener. I mean, so many times we think, oh, this is gonna be easier to deal with or this looks so enticing. Well, guess what? It's not. You're still going to end up dealing with the same issues because guess what? No matter where you go, there you are. So if you have issues to deal with, you're going to carry them right over to your next relationship. So resolve to stick together, work on your relationship and work on yourself. The I is invest. Invest in your relationship. And it sounds pretty obvious like, well, of course, But think about it. How many times do we invest more in our coworkers, invest more in our children, invest more in our friends? And the last person that gets the attention or the love is your spouse or your mate. Make it your priority. So make it number one. And then the last letter is T, which is together. So you got to remember, you are we. You are a team. You are not an individual, you do things as a team. So keeping that in mind. Yeah, I love that. And so, you know, and and obviously not every narcissist is going to say, oh, I'm bringing God into my life. But there are some narcissists, and we talked about this a little bit before Mm -hmm. the show as well, that use God. Yeah. 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 I've personally uh, witnessed this where God is used really as a weapon. Yeah. And and they use it, well, not only as a weapon, but they use it to make themselves look like they're good people. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They use it to make it look like they, especially coverts, you know, like they, uh, they're so spiritual or they're so, you know, and then they use it to draw people in, you know. Well, if you think about a lot of cult leaders we were kind of talking about, it's that, the charisma and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very attractive. Right, right, right. And they come across in such a godly, spiritual way that, you know, 
exactly. It's very deceiving. Yeah. So you do have to be careful of that. I've met several people who were in the, who are actually pastors who are very, very narcissistic. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. So whether or not they actually really believe in it or they just are using it to manipulate. I don't know. You know what? I think it's both. I don't know that it starts out that way, right? I think, you know, they probably, they know, they know the material, you know, they know what they're talking about and somehow, but then there's a whole other aspect. I think that I think some, there's a lot of mental illness, undiagnosed mental illness that goes along with that, you know, that may be a step further than narcissism. So I think sometimes it can be a combination of several things. Yeah. 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 Here, your quote is just reminding me, there was a Jackson Brown quote. It's like, no matter how fast I run, I can never seem to get away from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always love that. Yep. Yeah. So what, one of the things that you say when you're, you have this whole sort of outline that you take people through, which I think is really, really great in your book. And and I was thinking, you know, even if people aren't working on their current relationship, it's really a great outline for people to use for their next relationship or even assessing their current relationship as to whether or not they want to stay in their current relationship or or should they stay in their current relationship. And and deciding, is this the one I should stay in or or using that for that? And then, you know, looking at everything and how it's currently affecting their current relationship about themselves. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you talk about is, is looking at your own past mm-hmm. and your past relationships, your past hurts, your past experiences, and how it's affecting your relationships. And, and you know, I love that because even if you don't stay in your current relationship, it's something that you should do because it's going to affect your next one. Yep. Well, I mean, it's that, that thing. You, we all have baggage, So we're all bringing our own issues and insecurities and past hurts and traumas into our present relationship. So it's always, you know, there. And it's it's about looking at that. I, you know, I say I kissed a lot of frogs before I met my prince, but, you know, there was... (laughs) a lot of stuff that goes back into that, right? And then you think about childhood trauma. So, you know, that's where I think self-work is so important to always be working on yourself and and trying to be self-aware. One of the things that happened with John and I, he started to be very successful with his speaking and the kids were in middle school and He was running off from one speaking event to the next. I mean, people were just booking him left and right, really wanted to hear what he had to say. And it was a very stressful time for me because I was home with the kids. Both of them were in elite sports. So I was running from one practice to the next. And to top it off, 
our kids have uh, celiac disease. So it's a gluten oh. allergy. Yeah. So I couldn't just send them off with lunch money to get something to eat. I had to make their lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner all the time. Because especially where we lived in a small town, there was nothing gluten-free. This one particular day, John walks in. And by then, you know, we had definitely worked a lot on our relationship and we're, we're, we're in a better place. And he was starting, you know, or had been doing a lot of things to be a better person and father and, and husband. So anyway, he walks in the door though, and he looked so handsome, Rebecca. He had his suit. I mean, he looked so good. I'm literally standing in the kitchen. I've got my nightgown on. The kids are running late for the bus. I'm trying to make lunches. My hair's all disheveled. You know, I didn't sleep. I looked and felt awful. Oh my God. Walks in and he's like, you know, gotta go. And I'll tell you what, at that moment, I wanted to cut him down. I wanted to say the meanest things to him. And right then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm feeling this way because I don't feel good about myself. And I turned around and something said to me, like, compliment him. And I looked at him and I said, John Gordon, you look so handsome in that suit. You just better watch yourself, right? Gave him a little wink. And he went, you know, got, he got the biggest smile on his face, Rebecca, and gave me the biggest hug and out the door he went. And right then I realized from that day forward that I had to check myself and that the minute I started to feel insecure or bad about myself, I needed to turn around and to turn it around into a positive. And it made a huge difference in our relationship. But here's the beautiful thing. It actually helped me feel better about myself. Mm. So, yep. So yeah. that was a so, big But one. not everybody can do that. No. But that is so good. That is so good that you were able to do that because you were able to take a look at your own insecurities. Right, right. And so you might say, and I hear what you say that not everybody can do that. I hear that because trust me, you got to remember by then he had kind of shared with me this in, infidelity that had happened way back in 2001 with the real estate agent. So I already knew that. So I had a choice at that point. I could continue to belittle him or I could have done something to make him feel less than. But you know what? Always, always trying to lift up the other person makes you feel better. And again- yeah. You may not get the result or the response that you wanted right away. Don't do it for that reason. Do it for yourself. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. I want to just briefly talk about your five Ds because mm -hmm. I think that these are so good. Yeah. Yep. So it's the five Ds in a relationship, but it's not, it, these five Ds can apply to any relationship. Yeah. It can apply to a work relationship. Yeah. And the first one is distort. So, so these are the five D's that are negative forces in yes. a relationship. Yep. So, so distort. That D, what does it do? It tells lies. It, it plants negative thoughts 
in, in you, right? It makes you think negative things. So the thing that I always say, and so let's apply it to your relationship. I, you could think, oh, you know, he doesn't love me anymore. He doesn't think I'm pretty. Well, that's distortion, right? Those are lies. Those are, it's the lies that you're just listening to negative lies. And so speak truth to the lies, right? The minute you start hearing those kind of things coming in, speak truth. Just, just, you know, I literally, the minute I do that, sometimes I even verbally go, stop. And I'll, I'll say something positive to myself or I'll think a positive thought. Does that make sense? So you've got- yeah, we, we are meaning-making machines, right? Yeah. We, we make things mean things that are, that, that don't mean that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, that's a big one. It, so distortion in a, in, in a relationship, in any relationship is not good. And the next one is discourage, okay? So your distortions- can turn into discouragement. I'm not good enough for him. Like, you know, so you start to play this thing into in your mind. I'm not worthy. So no, then you need to turn it around. Encourage yourself, you know. Again, encourage your partner. So it may be that it's your partner. Like I said, he, you know, he wanted to come in. I wanted to cut him down and discourage him, but instead... I encouraged him. So you've got to turn that one around. So first D's distort, second D's discourage. And the third one is doubt, right? So lies and discouragement lead to doubt, to doubt yourself, to doubt God's plan for you, you know, to, to, to doubt your direction, to doubt the the love that your partner might have for you. So the way to counter doubt is through trust. So when John had shared with me that he, you know, had done the sin fidelity, at that point, I can continue to doubt. I could, the minute he was going out, I could have doubted him. But for me, I knew that I had to trust. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying trust without something to back it up. They need to give you something to trust, right? But just make sure it's not things you're kind of just, you know, coming up with in your own head. And the fourth D is distract. And this is such a big one because think about it. You know, if you are busy or your partner's busy, say you're busy doing all the things that you need to do to take care of your household or take care of the kids or make money and you're feeling, you know, kind of unappreciated and, all of a sudden, somebody kind of comes into your life that tells you how wonderful you are, how, you know, you know, it's a distraction or, you know, a lot of times for men, well, and women, it can be pornography, it can be pornography, you know, something that distracts you and just seems shiny and bright, you know, and, it, it, you know, distraction from your relationship. You need to be careful of that because, you know, that there's that whole saying, if the devil doesn't make you busy, right? If the devil doesn't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Mm -hmm. So it's a distraction. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth one is divide. And that divide, if it's in a relationship or in a marriage, I should say, the divide means divorce. Mm -hmm. 
And so you have to guard yourself against those five Ds. And so it's about counteracting each one of them. And the divide, again, if you two are connected as a couple, you can, you can really negate a lot of that. It's when, you, you're, it's when you're not united. Again, it's when you're doing the I and not the we. So those are the five Ds. Right. And again, you know, we stress, obviously, if you are in an abusive relationship, if you are in a situation where your partner is a narcissist. Right. And not willing to change and, and, and being verbally or emotionally abusive to you, then clearly and not willing to be a we. Right. And in that case, then, that, then you need to walk away from the relationship. And I'm not one to say, you know, leave the relationship, leave the relationship, but there are deal breakers and exactly what you just named. Those are deal breakers. If you're not, if they're not willing to change, if they're not willing to look at themselves, if they're not willing to be honest, right? That's huge. Here's an example. And it could be, you know, you come up with your own guidelines, but say, say your partner has cheated on you or has shown that they've been distracted. Maybe, maybe for trust, for building trust, you're, you can look at their phone. Now, some people might think that's a violation, but you know what? If that's something that you two negotiate and say, you know what? It just would make me feel better until I can trust you. One of the things that John did do, I got to tell you, I persecuted him and rightly so. I mean, I was so hurt and I felt very, very deceived, right? So when John really, he was working towards being in the relationship and being a good partner, I, I was allowed to look at his phone whenever I wanted to. And I, you know, hand it over. And now some people might feel like, oh, well, that's a vibe, you know, that in itself. For me, it was very important. You know, it was very important for me to look and see what was going on because I needed to build that trust. So, you know, your partner has to be willing to do, and, you know, you have to negotiate those together. Yeah. Depending on what they and, are. And so what does that mean for you? And, and one of the things that I like is that you have this list of things like what is, you know, a perfect partner for you. And... I think that that's an important thing for people. Okay, if they're not going to stay in this relationship, mm-hmm. what does that look like going forward? You know, and in some ways, it's sort of a manifestation exercise. Yeah. You know, I, I always say I did my best relationship work when I was not in a relationship. So, I mean, I dated some real winners before I met John And wow, I dated an incredible, incredible narcissist. He he was a piece of work, but I mean, he brought me to my knees. I mean, there was a lot of pain and a lot of crying, but I, 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 I was able to work on myself a lot. And I think that's why when John started exhibiting these behaviors, I didn't cave and I didn't fold and I didn't uh, get, go down because I saw it for what it was. And I had done enough work on myself where I'm like, Hey, 
that's not okay. This behavior is not okay. And I'm having to teach my daughter that, you know, she actually got into a relationship with a narcissist and I watched as he started to look better and do better. The more she kept feeding into him, this guy ended up like, I mean, it was amazing to see the transformation in him. And it was sickening to see the transformation in my daughter. She absolutely did not look like herself. She didn't act like herself. It was a really sad thing. It was almost like he sucked the lifeblood out of her you know, oh, so yeah, I saw it in my daughter as well. Yeah. So you have to be, you have to be careful of that. So you should always be working on yourself. And yeah, I, I listen, I, make a list, make a list of, of what's important to you in a relationship and pay attention. Some of this is really basic, right? But we forget because we get so taken back by maybe the good looks or the charisma, you know, it's the same thing that I tell my kids, you know, when they were going to school, I used to say, if you are in a group of people or you're with somebody and you walk away and you don't feel good, they're not your people. They're not your people. So you always have to pay attention to that. Yeah. So it's very important to do the work on yourself when you're not. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite things to say is stop trying to make, stop trying to make not your people, your people. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and so you have the four C's, which I love for, you know, if, if, if you don't have it in your current relationship, then you know, I think it's totally a deal breaker. And, you know, this is something that you definitely want in your next relationship. So talk about that. And I think that that's like a good way for us to wrap up. Okay. So the first four, first of the four C's is communicate. I said it, I've said it a couple of times in this interview. I'm going to say it again, communicate, communicate, communicate where there's a void in negativity. I mean, where there's a void in communication, negativity will fill it. So I always like to encourage couples to find a time that works for you. So I knew with my husband, right when he was walking in the door, was not a good time to try to communicate with him. So find your sweet spot. And, and I've, I've had to find that with my kids. What's the best time to talk to them where they really open up to me? So communicate. One of the things you can do is, as a couple, ask your spouse or ask your partner on a scale of one to 10, how do I communicate? And what would make it a 10? Right, that's an easy one. So the next C is connect. And you have to communicate to connect. And again, that sounds like an obvious one, but think about it. When you get really busy with work and with kids and, you know, maybe starting a new business, whatever it is, you don't take as much time to connect. So try to find a time that works for you all to connect. Now, one of the things that I did uh, with my husband is we would take a walk. And I got to tell you, sometimes these walks, I would end up, we would fight. We would fight. But by the end of the walk, we ended up working out a lot. So sometimes it's just about that movement and the talking that we were able to, to talk a lot. And one of the things that I highly recommend that people do with their family is a family meeting. 
Once a week, we would get together with our children and sit around the table. And I'm going to tell you something. It was not easy. There were times we'd go family or John would say family meeting, or maybe I would start it depending. And, you know, the eyes would roll and everybody had to put their phones down. But Rebecca, I'm going to tell you something. It was fascinating to me. Uh, John or I would bring something to the table to read. A lot of times it might be maybe scripture or an article that somebody had written. And it never failed that something one of us was going through. You know, we wouldn't know the kids were experiencing. This article would just open up the channels for us to have a conversation. And it made our family dynamic and our connection with each other so strong. We became such a stronger family. The only regret that I have about family meetings is I didn't start soon enough. Mm -hmm. So even if it's just you and your spouse or your mate, do it. So that's communicate, connect. And the next one is commit. Commit to your relationship. Commit to work on it. Commit to, and it could be little things. So, you know, there's been a study that. If you can, the strongest relationships are when each of the partners take time to listen to their spouse or help them with something. And I'm talking little things. So John might be writing an article and he might call me into his office and say, hey, can you just read this real quick? And I'm going to tell you something. Last thing I want to do is sit down at that moment and read through his article. But I know it's important to him. And so I'll take that five minutes to sit and read the article and give my input. So it's committing to the relationship. It might mean going to a company party with your spouse when you really have no desire to hang out with the the work, you know, the work people. So commit to your relationship. And then the last one is care. Show you care. You know, isn't it funny how a lot of times in relationship, our spouse is like the last one we give the love to. And we kind of talked about that in the, in, in the five D's too, but showing that you care about them, you know, that you, you, that you care about the relationship. So, and that's the whole we, it's we, not me. So those are the, the four C's, communicate, connect, commit, and care. And those apply to not just intimate relationships. Again, can comply, apply to work relationships, you know, any of that. Friendships. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So the book is Relationship Grit. Mm -hmm. And where can people follow you, get your book, find out more about you, all that good stuff? Yeah. Relationshipgritbook.com. You can get the book through that. You can get it through Amazon. My Instagram handle is at Katherine Gordon. And I also have a podcast called Catherine for Real, which I can't wait to interview you for. And my website, katherineforreal.com. And if you buy the book on, well, really through Amazon or relationshipgritbook.com, I have a free action guide. And I'm telling you, it's really good. I mean, everybody keeps saying, why haven't I made it into a little book and, and you know, make money off it? I don't want to do that. I do want to help relationships. So this just... I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, Rebecca, but oh yeah, yeah. The question is all there. Yeah, yeah. It will absolutely strengthen your relationship. 
So we're going to put links to all that good stuff yes. in the show notes as well. But definitely go check her out. Follow her. She is the real thing. She's good people. Good Thank stuff. you. I don't normally share that much about my relationship, but you know what? It's real. And listen, if I can get to where I am in my relationship, if you're both willing to work on it, you can too. But if not, if not, work on yourself for your next great relationship. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. 